if you would, Nehemiah chapter 4. If you've just joined us, and we have several newbies today, let me just kind of give you an overview. This, for many, is an obscure book. I had a couple people tell me, I don't think I've ever read Nehemiah. What we're looking at is during, uh, the Jews have, of Israel have been carried away by foreign powers, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, um, but uh, the Babylonians of 586 destroy the temple. Uh, Jerusalem lays a kind of a wasteland, so to speak. And under the book of Ezra, the Persians allow the Jews to go back and to rebuild the temple. They will do that. Uh, and under Nehemiah's watch, they'll rebuild the walls. And we looked at last week when we were together, chapter 3, we looked at the rebuilding of the walls, a chapter that's rather obscure, but I think there's so many lessons that we could pull out, which we tried to do. The overarching themes, just to remind us, the sovereign hand of God, we're going to see that today clearly. The people of God are called to remain faithful, we'll see that today as well, and God's full restoration of his people. And so again, we're looking at this wall that was being, is being rebuilt, chapter 3, goes through that. Chapter 4 kind of steps back to chapter 2 and says, now wait a minute, you may have thought this was all easy peasy in building the walls. Actually it wasn't. And so what it does is it comes back and, and tells us a little bit of the story. Uh, Nehemiah, don't think that every chapter we're moving chronologically. It's sim similar to reading the book of Revelation. Uh, at times we're hitting the pause button saying, okay now let me tell you who this is in the movie. And then we go back to hitting the play button. The same with Nehemiah. And so they're going to rebuild the walls. And if you look, we're going to start at the sheep gate. We talked about this. And they're going to move counterclockwise around the old city of David. This former wall was Hezekiah's wall. All right. So if you love maps, I even put another map there in your notes today, which we're going to refer to. So Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. Uh, this is such a rich text. So let's, let's look at this. Now when Sambalit, now remember he's the leader of the Samaritans. Samaritans, who are they? Who are the Samaritans? Help me out. Ex-Jews that were uh, uh, Yeah, they're really half-breeds. Uh, they are Jews that were left behind. Other people groups moved in. They had interracial relationship. The tension between Samaritans and Jews we meet in the New Testament, but it starts all the way back to here. And there's a bunch of intertestament history, which we won't go into, it says when Sambalat heard, and by the way, I think I mentioned there is historical uh, references to Sambalat as well as coins that he minted. So he is a historical figure. We would expect that. The text says this, it says heard that, that we were rebuilding the wall and notice the pronouns through this. It's very important. Nehemiah includes himself with the people. We were rebuilding the wall. He became angry and was quite upset. He derided the Jews and in the presence of his colleagues and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? So it's derogatory. Now watch the accusations or the questioning. Will they be left to themselves? Will they again offer sacrifice? Now does someone have a different rendering there in an English version? Somehow will they rebuild? The, the Hebrew term is a little vague here, and it's probably indicating kind of, what are they going to do? Pray that the wall comes back? You know, you super spiritual people, you think you're really going to do that? God's going to just intervene and hocus pocus, it's going to be there? That's the idea that's being raised here. Will they finish this in a day? I mean, they are so naive. Can they bring these burnt stones to life again from piles of dust? 
And then Tobiah, he joins in, <laughs> right? And by the way, where is all this being said? We know it's within earshot of all the builders because we're going to highlight that later in the text. So watch this. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was close by, said, if even a fox were to climb up on what they are building, it would break down their walls of stones, right? You know, light, little fox going across it. That'll do it. There is an element of truth in their accusations. Archaeologically, we know that the walls were not well done. It only took them 52 days. This is not like Hezekiah's walls. This is not like previous walls built in Jerusalem. So there is an element of truth. Uh, Satan loves to have an element of truth. Just read Genesis 3. <laughs> Hear, O our God, Nehemiah says, for we are despised. Return their reproach on their head. Reduce them to plunder. That is the same term used of the Jews in, when the Babylonians came. They were plundered. He says, let them be plundered in a land of exile. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not wipe out their sin before them. For they have, been, they have bitterly offended the builders. Literally, they've angered us. They have brought us to this point. So we rebuilt the wall and all the wall. I love this. It's kind of like, so we rebuilt the wall, right? Uh, da, 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 da. We did it. Uh, and together, and notice it says, join together up to half its height. So we're halfway through the project. And what do we know when we're halfway there? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's exactly where we are. So when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and notice we now have another group. The, the opposition is growing. The people of Ashdod heard that the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem had moved ahead and that the breaches had begun to be closed. They were very angry. This is a different term for anger. Uh, Hebrew has several words for anger. This one is an absolute hissy fit. All right? This is a group of brats that are just enraged. And it says... All of them conspired together to move with armed forces against Jerusalem and to create a disturbance. So we prayed, we prayed to our God and stationed a guard to protect against them both day and night. Then those in Judah, the strength, now watch this. Then those in Judah said, the strength of the laborers has failed. Are they part of the laborers? It looks like they may be or may not be, right? It looks like it's more the outsiders who haven't joined in. And it says, the debris is so great that we are unable to rebuild the wall. So you could say it's a mixture. Our adversaries also boasted before they are aware or anticipate anything, we will come in among them and kill them, and we will bring this work to halt. So it happened that the Jews who were living near them came and warned us repeatedly about all the schemes they were plotting against us. So I stationed people at the lower places beside the wall and exposed places. This is Nehemiah speaking. I stationed the people by families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I had made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, watch what he says. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awesome Lord and fight on behalf of your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, your families. Uh, your life depends on it. Right? So happened that our adversaries heard that we were aware of these matters. God frustrated their intentions. Then all of us returned to the wall, each to do his work. From the day forward, half of any of my men were doing the work, and half of them were taking up spears, shields, bows, body armor. Now the officers were behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. 
So he tells us the builders would strap swords to their side or they had it in their basket, a weapon. So they're, they're fully armed. Now they've got two tasks, right? Build a wall and protect yourself. And verse 19, I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is demanding and extensive and we are spread out on the wall, far removed from one another. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, gather with us, our God will fight for us. So we worked on with half holding spears from dawn till dusk at the time I instructed the people, let every man and his co-workers spend the night in Jerusalem. Let them be guards for us by night and workers by day. We did not change clothes. Sounds like my son. Not I, nor my relatives, nor my workers, nor the watchmen who were with me. Each had his weapon, even when getting a drink of water. The situation is dire. As I looked at this text and studying it, and I had plenty of time to rest and read and study, uh, I think it can be broken into three sections. And each of those sections has a problem, and it's got a solution. Let me show you. And this is how I laid out the notes. The first six verses, the problem is disparaging words and ridicule, isn't it? You got Sambalat and, uh, and Tobiah, who <clears throat> economically and politically, they, they better complain. Jerusalem, that ancient city, sits on the patriarchal highway. It sits on a major road. Samaria is off to the north. Uh, Jerusalem is strategically, even today, located. And, and so, if Jerusalem's rebuilt, their glory is going to surpass very quickly. His, their, Jerusalem's glory will surpass them. And Persia could turn solely to Jerusalem for, for power in the region. And they could lose all the authority they have. So yes, Sanballat is concerned, so is Tobiah. Williamson in his commentary, it's there in your notes, says, Sambalat's scorn is voiced not merely in the hearing of the wall builders. I love what he says. Watch this. But in the presence of his allies. Remember, it's Tobiah who's going to, oh yeah, you're right. And he adds to the comment, right? It's his way of boosting morale among his own people. Now that he sees that the threat is taking on serious proportions. You know, as you look at these two Yehus, Sanballat and Tobiah, we've not seen this yet. When we get to chapter 6, Sanballat's, I think it's his daughter, or son. Let me, what did I have in the text? I always forget. Uh, Sanballat has connections. Yeah, his daughter. His daughter is married to the high priest's son. There is connections here. And the same with Tobiah. Tobiah is a Jewish name. Yes, he's with the Ammonites, but he's got a Jewish name, and it means, ironically, Yahweh is good. <laughs> Sambalat and Tobiah, they have to have connections inside the walls. And there has to be some alliances. And in chapter 6, we're going to see some of the problems that result as a consequence of that. Uh, Nehemiah's task is to me is overwhelming. Not only does he have to rebuild the walls, but he's got tensions everywhere. Right? Um, and and you, you see this going on. And, and, and furthermore, as we see, the ridicule that they're going to level against the Israelites is one of mocking their faith and also their skill set. What do you know about building a wall? You are so naive. The destruction is great. As I mentioned, there is some validity to that. Um, this picture that you see, you see the white oval circle that's drawn? This is a portion, not this area, this is from the time of David down to the Canaanites. 
But this area, which is on the city of David, is part of Nehemiah's wall that uh, you can see today. They're small stones. They're poorly put together. And they're not these, even the Canaanite stones are massive. They're larger than some of your tables that are carved, placed, but not Nehemiah's walls. Uh, so, you know, uh, there is some reason to criticize or uh, some validity in, their in what they're saying. Well, the solution for the Israelites in this portion is found in verses 4 and 5, right? Now, look at the text. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Before we look at what Nehemiah says and to whom he's speaking, which is to the Lord, notice who does he not talk to? Yeah, Sanballat. He does not talk to him, does he? There's no negotiation. There's no um, retaliation, is there? He immediately goes to the Lord, which is a val valuable lesson for all of us. And in fact, his leadership of turning to the Lord in prayer, which we saw all the way back in chapter 1, will be mimicked by the people. Did you notice, uh, notice what it says uh, later? It says, we prayed. Did you catch that? In verse 9, we prayed to our God. Uh, <clears throat> there's nothing more rewarding for if you're in ministry to see the people you're ministering to follow in godliness or, 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 or attempt to, to walk in godliness. And, and he, he's, he's modeling it well for them. Go to the Lord in prayer first, right? And that's what he does. So he doesn't respond to his opponents. At least the text doesn't show that. And he will pray to the Lord for two things. One is to, for assistance for, his, for the Lord to assist his own people. Right? Notice he says, we are despised. Help us in our reproach. The second thing, though, is he asks that the Lord judge their enemies. This is an imprecatory prayer. Did you catch that? Lord, judge them. Zap them. Now, you gotta, we got to go back. Because in Ezra, when the 42,000 Jews, 360, 42,360 Jews, returned from exile and, and rebuilt the temple... Many of the local yokels joined them, but some did not, right? Some did not repent. Sambalat and Tobiah are not innocent bystanders. And already they have seeked to discredit the Lord's reputation. Do you remember this? Go back to verse, or chapter 2, verse 19. When Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Jeshem the Parasite heard all this, Right? They said, what are you doing? And, and verse 20 says, the God of heaven will prosper us. In other words, God will keep his covenant. God has promised that. And, and you all are outside the covenant, which is the realm of judgment. And so, like the, some of the imprecatory Psalms, Nehemiah or even Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah will pronounce God's curse on them, right? The question, of course, for us in the New Testament era is, can we pray the same prayer, <laughs> right? Uh, how do we reconcile Nehemiah's prayer with Jesus' command, right? Pray for those who persecute you, right? How, how do we reconcile that? What's your response? I mean, that's what we should be asking here as we're looking at this text. I even gave you a space to write. Don? You took your glasses off. You're going to say something. Good. Did you hear that over here? Yeah, the Lord, the Lord will lay out his own traps. Some would argue that even the imprecatory prayers, 
what they are praying, and I think this is right, they're simply praying, Lord, your will be done. And you have stated that those who dishonor you, you will judge. And I am asking you to fulfill your honor, that you would be glorified. That's really no different than what we read in Revelation. As we see the same in Revelation chapter 5, for instance, or 19, is the call of the saints for God to, to vindicate his name. So in some ways, uh, um, you could argue for both, couldn't you? Yes, we love our enemy. We pray for them. And, and I love that Sambalat represents the Samaritans who Nehemiah is saying, Lord, bring down your curse upon them. But in John chapter 5, who does Jesus meet at a well? A Samaritan woman. So it doesn't mean God can't extend grace. But Lord, I turn them over to you. I've always said the Lord has a very large paddle. It's much thicker than mine and has really uh, large holes. So allow him to do the disciplining. Let him fight your battle. Right, is the idea. And, and Nehemiah is saying, Lord, it's your name. Remember we talked about this, why we're even building this wall. It's for God's glory. That's why I read to you chapter 2, the end. So Lord, this is your battle. They've, they've gone against you. And consequently, in light of that, let's reread this prayer. He says, do not cover their iniquity. Do not wipe out. And that is the same word we use for atone. Atonement? Do not atone their sin. Deal with them, Lord. They're yours. Of course, our desire, and the Lord, you know, the text tells us the Lord wishes none should perish. But the Lord's reputation is also on the line. There's an idea here that's it's being brought forth. Well, as I state in your notes in verse 6, despite Sambalat and Tobiah's desire to foster insecurity, self-doubt, and fear of failure, the Israelites do not despair at this point. They will in the next section, though. So bear with us, all right? So this first point we see is disparaging words. When we get to the second section, it now moves to the realm of discouragement and hopelessness. Now we've got a real problem. This is verses 7 and 8. We see Sambalat, Tobiah, and now... We've got even others joining in. As I said, the opposition starting in chapter 2 just keeps, keeps escalating, both in the, the people who are uh, objecting as well as the intensity. First, it was a few disparaging words. Now they're saying, we're going to take swords and we're going to kill them. Now, I don't believe Sambalat and Tobiah are stupid enough to think they can overthrow the decree of Artaxerxes, the Persian king. So I think they're talking about guerrilla warfare. We're, we're going to... Some scholars argue these were just um, veiled threats. They were empty, you know, rumors that they wanted to start just to scare the Israelites. I think there's more to that than, the, than simply just a, a veiled threat. I think that we really are... Or not, that's not the word, an empty threat. There really is something here to this. Look at this map that is on page one. But here it is again in the yellow dots, Jerusalem. But look at our enemies... Now that Ashdod joins forces with them, look where we are. We've got Sambalat in the north, Tobiah in the east, Geshem, the Arab, is in the south and also into Moab. And you've got Ashdod, which is present-day uh, Gaza Strip. Jerusalem is surrounded by enemies. No wonder the officials from Tekoa said, we're not getting involved with the wall. Are you crazy? No way. 
We got too much at stake. We like our little hacienda. We like the authority we have. If we, we throw our hat in the ring, uh, we could lose all of that. So we're not doing it. And we talked about how various people groups are involved as well as family units, etc. in building the city in that the green zone is the Judea, what we call the province of Judah during the Persian Empire. We're talking about four, 400s BC. All right, so give you an idea of that time frame. But the opposition is growing. Notice in verse 9, as we mentioned, Nehemiah's leadership is contagious as he, he draws the people together uh, and leading them in prayer. But in the midst of this, they're losing their strength, aren't they, the Israelites? They're, they're losing their way. And, and you can see that in verse 10, that, you know, they're looking at the debris. Now it seems to be growing. <laughs> they're halfway point. Uh, they're too far along now to turn back, but they don't know if they can get through it. Reminds me of my doctoral program, right? Uh, you, you just want to pack your bags and go home, and you realize, I can't do that. I spent too much money and too much time. My parents would kill me. So that's kind of the idea, right? Here we are. We're stuck. What are we going to do with this? Um, and, and that's the idea here is, how do we keep on going? And, and now there's threat of being killed, right? Notice in your notes there under verse 10, McConnellville makes this statement in his commentary, the temptation to unbelief must have been immense, right? Those especially who did not even live in Jerusalem and may have worried about the security of their hometowns. Remember, many of these people don't live in Jerusalem. May have wondered whether their present task was just the fanaticism of a misguided idealist. In other words, Nehemiah, you're crazy. I can't believe I've... I've, I've given all these resources and, and, and time and so forth to, to be involved. The, the situation definitely is dire. And what's the solution in this section? I love it. It's to remember the Lord. Notice what Nehemiah says, right? Let's go to the text. Let's look at this. Uh, well, first of all, well, before he gets to the rem remembering, oops, let's go back. What does he uh, do? Uh, in, he, he relocates the people, doesn't he? The text tells us he, he places uh, guards where the walls are exposed. That's in verse 13. He also places them with their family members. Why would he do that? Yeah. Uh, confidence? What else? Fight for it and you're not going to desert. <laughs> Right? You're not going to turn tail because you got mama uh, uh, camped out inside the city walls. So it, it was a strategic move on his part. But he's not done there. He says there in verse 14, remember the great and awesome Lord. What's he calling? What's he asking them to remember? What do you think he's calling them to remember? You're an Israelite. Let's say you put yourself in 4, 440 BC inside the city walls. You're surrounded by people who would love to see you destroyed. Uh, as my Israeli guide says, nothing's changed. Um, you know, you're surrounded by your enemies. And in fact, you're not sure you can really trust everyone in the city because they are related to Sambalat, even the high priest, right? And, and you're called to remember, remember what? Exodus, no doubt. Throughout the Old Testament, the, the Exodus is the rallying point. In fact, <clears throat> the, the trumpet cry that you see in verse 20, our God will fight for us. That's an identical line from the Exodus. 
So yeah, the Exodus is one. What else do we think that, what else here? I mean, what's even more recent? They have had so many awe-inspiring acts. You're correct. What else though? What's more recent? 400 years they've been in exile, right? Let's not forget that. You know, by the waters of Babylon, right? You know, whatever the song goes. I mean, they, they've, been, they've been weeping at Babylon. 400, uh, the thought that they have returned, one of my guides in Israel who's an agnostic at best, <clears throat> said uh, every time he talks about 1940s when Israel was formed, he said it, it was a God thing. There's no way to explain that. Well, you know what? It's a God thing that the Israelites got to go leave Babylon and go back and rebuild a temple. That's a God thing. Who would have ever thought? Right? 586, I thought you guys are wiped off the map. That's it. You're done for. Right? That you could return. And, and, and we could go on, but Nehemiah saying, hey, and, and the call to recall is repeated throughout Scripture. The stones of remembrance, right? My wife and I have stones of remembrance. There's certain events in our life as a couple where we, we reflect on, this was God's hand. May we not forget them, right? Uh, think back in your own life. These are my stones of remembrance. It's so easy to, to get caught up in the affairs of life and to forget, wait a minute, our God, he can destroy all this. He destroyed the Egyptians. Sambalat is nothing. And I, and I love that. Remember the great and awesome. He will fight on behalf of your brothers, your sisters, your daughters, your wives, your families. Why are you stressing? Look who our God is, right? And this is there on page three of your notes. Swindoll in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, says, during times of discouragement, it's important for all of us to refocus our attention on the Lord. We can do this by med meditating on his promises. I love this. Watch this. Memorizing his word and reflecting on his character. You're struggling right now? Can't see? You feel like you're halfway through building the wall? Look to the Lord. Remember, our God fights battles. Right? <clears throat> but it's not just that they are facing disparaging words and the opposition is intensifying, etc. They're also facing adversity in the sense of a grueling task that's set before them. And we see this there starting in verse 15. Uh, and, and I love this. It, it, before we even get into all that they need to do, in verse 15 is kind of like a, 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 a salve in the midst of it. It says, God frustrated their intentions. <clears throat> Throughout Scripture, God, that line is used of, of uh, Israel's enemies. Right? Um, and God will frustrate their plans. Remember when the Assyrians were encamped around the city of, of uh, Jerusalem? And they thought that was it. And Hezekiah prayed. And God struck them all dead. And God can handle this. He's used to adversity. He knows what to do. Be ready. And so, and you can read verses 16 through 18, the various steps that they took to do this. And, and, and continuing to build while at the same time being ready for battle. The solution for this section was rest in the Lord, right? You know, so look at this. Pray to the Lord, remember the Lord, and rest in the Lord. Those are the three solutions in the midst of 
unbelievable chaos that's swirling around the Israelites. And you talk about uh, paralysis. That could set in quite quickly when you look at all that they are facing at this very moment. And our God will fight for us. It reminds me of Psalm 127, which I cite in your notes. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. <laughs> the Lord is watching over the city. One of the things I love to do when I'm in Jerusalem is to get up at early in the morning before the group's ready. Uh, I don't do that so much as I, as I used to. <laughs> but uh, to get up and, and to see the sunrise over the city. You guys know the Lord, is on, the Lord has watched over you tonight. Just as he watches over us. Our God will fight for us. He is the mighty warrior. Questions on this powerful text? Neglected text, to be quite honest. I don't know the last time I've heard a sermon from Nehemiah. Uh, it's such a rich book, isn't it? Um, let me give you three things to hang on your beak uh, this week. First of all, if you're identifying with Christ, I, I got some bummer news for you. <laughs> you will be persecuted. It's kind of like the doctor after I was released, the nurse. He said, you're going to have pain for about four to seven days. Get over it. So that's just it. Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? You're going to claim the name of Christ, you're going to be persecuted. So the correlation is, if you're not being persecuted, if you're not meeting adversity in your ministry, you, you might want to assess some things because that will come. And, and in, in the midst of that then is, is we must not forget we're in a spiritual battle, right? It's a familiar text, Ephesians 6, and some of you know this. Turn to Ephesians 6, probably most of you know this. You've got this whole armor of God that imagery. And I remember in King's Kids Club growing up, we had to, you know, he had the, the soldier who put all the armor on, the breastplate of righteousness and all those. There's one major piece that's missing, which you probably know, and that's the shin guards. They are not mentioned at all in this Roman armor. And that's because our soldier, I would argue, is on his knees in prayer. They don't need to be protected. Because look how this armor ends. It says, and the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, verse 18, with every prayer and petition, pray at all times. There it is. We're in a spiritual battle. Packer said, we who are Christ should detest Satan, but not dread him, since God now provides us with all purpose combat equipment for use against him. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, that's where we are. And that fits with the third uh, point of intersect. And that is in the midst of life's trials and adversities, look first to the Lord. I, the Lord uses these lessons of life to, to teach us as we study the word, doesn't he? I was laying in that hospital bed, which wasn't very comfortable. <laughs> uh, and that beautiful gown. And I thought, you know, I have hardly prayed coming into this. It was such a whirlwind of events. I thought, this is crazy. That's the first thing I should have been doing. And, and studying this text is just a reminder, we need to run to the Lord first. Psalm 27, I want you to look at this, this psalm. We're going to close with this. I will end on time. Psalm 27. This is such a sweet psalm, and it fits with the focus of the text here today. It says, The Lord delivers and vindic vindicates me. I fear no one. That's Nehemiah. I mean, this guy, he's got chutzpah, right? 
Come on, let's take it. I mean, Sambala, you think you're somebody? I spent four months in prayer. This is the Lord's work, so look out. <laughs> He's going to do the task. He, said, he goes before us. The Lord protects my life. I'm afraid of no one. When evil men attack me to devour my flesh, when my adversaries and enemies attack me, they stumble and fall. Something we're working with our kids, even in public school, you know, they, our daughter in particular, um, she said, well, so-and-so said this, and it was really hurtful, and, and I just wanted to say, I said, no, 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 you don't say anything. The soft answer turns away wrath. You turn to the Lord, and you pray for them. So, every night, we pray for so-and-so. <laughs> she said, you're kidding. I said, no, we're not doing that's what we're going to do. The Lord will deal with them. You know, you, we'll pray for a hedge of protection. We pray for them. When evil men attack me to devour my flesh, when my adversaries and enemies attack me, they stumble and fall. Even when my army is deployed against me, I do not fear. I mean, imagine the army of the Israelites during this time frame. They've not been trained. Sambalat's probably got a nice, well-oiled machine. Not these Israelites. It says, even when war is imminent, I remain confident. I have asked the Lord for one thing, and this is what I desire. Watch this. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life. I want to gaze at the splendor of the Lord. Is that your prayer? Lord, I just want to know you. That's my, that is my life passion. May I know you. And look at verse 11. It says, teach me how you want me to live. Lead me along a level path because of those who want to ambush me. Verse 14, rely on the Lord. Be strong and confident. Rely on the Lord. Nehemiah is an amazing leader. And there's a lot of lessons in leadership we could look at. As a guy who, who, who takes a bunch of ragtag muffin uh, exile, folks left from the exile and those who came back with him to build a wall in 52 days. It's an amazing feat in the midst of all that adversity and that he could rally the troops in order to do that. It's amazing as well. But what's so amazing is that through it all, he's God-focused. Remember the Lord. Pray to him and rest in him, right? Father, we thank you for your text. And Lord, I, I look across this room and I know there are several men who are struggling with maybe personal issues, family issues, job situations. Lord, and the walls seem to be crumbled all around us. And the naysayers, <laughs> oh, we can find those. They're all over the place. Lord, help us to rest in you. Thank you that you are a God who fights our battles. You are our mighty warrior. And Lord, Help us in our pursuit of knowing you more. We want to be like Moses who, who beholds your glory and we can reflect that, Lord, in the world that we live who desperately needs to know about a God of comfort, peace, but also victory. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.